Well, folks, Shaw, Jerry Adams, Arish, I hope you're all well. Tamisha Gohan White, Akhtami Sanofik, again, Bamisha Augustashi, fear for freezing here in the uh, office. Anyway, just a week or two ago, on November the 18th, down in Killarney, 820 Republicans broke bread in honour of Martin and Marie Ferris. And it was a great night. Marie Ferris is one of my heroes. A warrior woman, an activist, a mommy, a mamo, and the wife of Martin Ferris. Martin Ferris is one of my heroes as well. He's as tough as old boots, as strong as teak, I carry Gale from head to toe, but he has the heart of an angel. And that's probably why Marie has put up with him all this time. They were married in 1978. Marie had returned from Australia. Her story is an amazing one. I'm particularly taken by her mother, Rita, better known as Margie, from Mayo. She was orphaned before she was five and ended up with the Sisters of Mercy in Westport. She was released aged 16. She became pregnant and a single mother when she was 21. Her son Sean was seized from her when she asked for help from his father with rearing the child. The son, an infant, like his mother, was given over to the nuns. Brokenhearted, Gargi went to England and then Australia where she married Jimmy, a carry man who she met in England. They went on to have four children, including Marie. Forty years later, their oldest brother Sean and Marky were reunited and the siblings met him for the first time. I remember at that time Marie being delighted at the prospect of her family being together. And that's the story of Ireland at that time. Theirs is a story of separation, cruel deprivation, exile, and totally unacceptable ill-treatment of citizens by a right-wing, uncurring, miserable establishment. But its victims always hoped for better days. Marie's parents never gave up on Ireland. They knew a better life was possible. And even though they were in Australia, Marie and her siblings were reared in an Irish Republican household. That was the ideology she brought to Ireland with her when she visited her mother who had come home some years earlier. When Marie came to Kerry in 1976, she was a committed Republican. Before long, she was also an activist. Marie lived close to Martin Ferris's home place. These were tough years to be a Republican activist in the South. Conflict was raging in the North. And those who stood up for the beleaguered nationalist there felt the full weight of aggressive intimidation, state harassment and on occasion downright thuggery by elements of the agencies of the state. Censorship was rigidly enforced. The heavy gang brutalised those unfortunate enough to fall into its clutches and the prison regimes were particularly punitive. Martin Ferris was one of those singled out for special attention in 1975, he was imprisoned. He graduated too there from a rural childhood near Artfort 
along with his brother Branine and sister Mary. Theirs was a youth, youthful life of farming and fishing under the tutelage of their father Paddy and mother Agnes. Martin's life in those times reminds me very much of Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn. He was always in and out of trouble, good trouble. Martin went on to be a key player for Churchill GAC and later for his county. He remains the most knowledgeable person in Gaelic games that I know, a hurling and football and camogie encyclopedia. In 1970, his father Paddy died suddenly. Martin was 18. By now he was alert to the injustice of British rule in the north. Before long he too was an activist. Terms of imprisonment followed, preceded by brutal interrogations by the Habby gang. Marie, in the meantime, was writing to Republican prisoners, including Martin. Apparently, he never answered her letters. On St. Patrick's Day 1975, Martin was part of an attempt to escape from Portage Prison, in which volunteer Tom Smith was killed and six other prisoners were wounded. In 1977, Martin and other comrades embarked on hunger strike and protest at prison conditions. It was the last 47 days and succeeded in getting some improvements in the prison regime. Martin was released later that year and that's when he and Marie first met outside Porsche's prison where he and Daniel Lynch wanted and waited to bring him home. Martin, speaking at the event down in Tralee, gave a very humorous account of this. He said he came out of the gates of Bordley's prison and the gate clanged closed behind him. And sailors, if they're going to see if they meet a black cat or a red-haired woman, Martin said, on their way to go to sea, they turned back. He saw the red-haired woman, but couldn't turn back because the gate to the prison was locked. At any rate, Marie and Martin were married the following January and are together since. Well, their family life was plagued by constant harassment, by raids and arrests. And that's how the growing family of wee Ferris's were reared. Martin was arrested again in September 1984 and board the Marita Anne with a cargo of weapons. Marie was pregnant. Their oldest son, Eamon, was 10. Their three other daughters, Una, Deirdre and Tresha, were youngsters and baby Keenan was 14 months old. Martin went back to the prison to do hard time. But for me, the story of that period of their lives, graphically told in J.J. Barrett's Martin Ferris, Man of Kerry, is the story of the journey of Marie and her children, including new baby marching back and forth for visits to Portlaoise. This went on for 10 years. So there you have it. Martin went on to be a TD. Daughter Teresa became the first woman mayor of Kerry. What a turnaround. Republican Kerry prevailed despite everything. The Ferris family, unbowed and unbroken, magnanimous and forward-looking 
and enlarged with 16 grandchildren, are vindicated. They, like numerous other Republican families, were and remain the backbone of the Republican struggle and the cornerstone of Sinn Féin. Martin played a huge role in the peace process. He was part of the Sinn Féin team which negotiated with the British government in Downing Street and other places. He dealt also with the Unionist parties and formed a good relationship with the late David Irvine. The two of them enjoyed the odd, or maybe the not-so-odd, paint, including in watering holes in Tralee. Clat and I are proud that Martin and Marie are our friends. Our struggle is so strong today because of them. So let's go forward together. Let's keep building towards the new United Ireland. Thank you, Marie. Thank you, Martin. Tom, which fear, wake, deeps you. And thanks also to Adrian Dunbar and all of those who turned out last Saturday, a Saturday week ago, for a tour of the 1916 Moor Street Battlefield site in Dublin. A special thanks to Honourable Brelahan, grandniece of Joseph Plunkett and Michal McDonagha, Paddy Cooney, and then the founding of the Moor Street Preservation Trust, and many other relatives who took part, including Brendan Mulvihill and Harry Coyle, whose grandfathers were killed on the street. Thanks also to Evelyn Campbell, who sang Fenian Woman Blues, a reminder of all those women who participated in the raising. Pranchis O'Rahala, grandson of Michael Joseph O'Rahala, the O'Rahala, or O'Rahala, gave a stirring account of his grandfather's charge up Moor Street as the GPO was being evacuated in a desperate attempt to clear a British Army barricade. Pranchis told of his grandfather's wounding and subsequent death. At the end of the tour, he and Adrian Dunbar read from the plaque on the wall in O'Rahala Parade, the letter written by him, by the O'Rahala, to his wife as he lay dying. Written after I was shot. Darling Nancy, I was shot leading a rush up Moor Street and took refuge in a doorway. While I was there, I heard the men pointing where I was and I made a boat for the laneway. I'm there now. I got more than one bullet, I think. Tons and tons of love, dearie, to you and the boys and to Nell and Donna. It was a good fight, anyhow. Please deliver this to Nanny O'Rahilly, 40 Herbert Park, Dublin. Goodbye, darling. Two post notes to that is that the O'Rahilly given the Owen McNeil cancellation of the rising, didn't think that it should go ahead because of the confusion. But he famously said, I have wound the clock, so I must be there to see it strike. And he dutifully turned up and lost his life. And Herbert Park, 40 Herbert Park, was demolished recently by a developer without permission and disgracefully was led off with a €3,000 payment to the poor, poor box. So that's the price the state and its agencies put on such a historic building as 40 Herbert Park. And that's why the Moor Street and preservation of Moor Street Trust campaign and all those others who are involved in campaigning 
to have the whole quarter developed as a historical quarter. The tour was wonderful. It was a very, very, very large crowd. And I've been on the tour before and I'm well enough read on Moore Street and all of what happened. But the the tour guides give us detail and poignant and little tidbits of information which always make these things more interesting and bring history alive. So the government in Dublin appears determined to allow a developer to destroy much of this historic battlefield site. Please, if you want to see it not just saved, but developed as a historical quarter, as a fitting monument to the men and women of 1916, but also as an educational and economic hub for that part of the inner city of Dublin. Please sign up, join the battle and help to make this a reality. Gunyani Wai Deepsha Gorimilama Agov. And I'm going to end this uh, week with uh, a song recorded way back when she was Kathleen Largy by Kathleen Thompson, the late Kathleen Thompson. And it's Carrie, the wonderful song Carrie. And I commend it to you in honour of the Ferris family and all the other Republicans from the kingdom. So, Slan Liv, Tora Ira, Gunieri and Ta Livsha. Mila Boyhus. <laughs>